Well, good morning and welcome on uh, Name Tag Sunday. We had induction last night of a handful of new members, and so on those weekends, we'd like to have everybody wear name tags. Probably should have everybody wear name tags every week, but anyway, it's good to have you here. I see more smiles. Everybody's a little bit, you know, a little bit more optimistic now that the weather's warmed up a bit, and Chicago is uh, yielding to uh, some, some warm days. As, uh, as that video implied, as, uh, as you heard, we are turning into a series on prayer. As we move through the Gospel of Luke, we get to Luke 11, and there it opens reporting that Jesus was out praying, and when he came back, the disciples said, hey, teach us how to pray, just like John uh, taught his disciples how to pray, John the Baptist. And so uh, Jesus then gave them the Lord's Prayer and then uh, some additional teaching on prayer. And so we're turning now for a few weeks to think about what it looks like to, to talk with God. So I'm going to ask you to humor me for just a second. I'd like you all to stand. So this is a, this is a posture of prayer or uh, something along those lines that, uh, that, we, that, that was come to us by the Quakers. And it, it has to do with our hands being down and then our hands turning up. And so this is about letting go and this is about being ready to receive. So, so turn your hands upside down. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable. And let me pray for us. Father, we want to let go of, uh, of the cares and concerns that we bring in here this morning. Of fears, of stress, of sin, of pride, of anger, of uh, tension in our lives. Father, we want to let go of that as we come to be in your presence. And uh, now we turn our hands up, and Father, we now take this posture of saying we want to receive from you. We want to hear from you. We want to meet with you, be different because of what you give us. So bless us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, um, how many of you prayed at some point in the last month? Okay. How many of you are satisfied with your prayer life? Yeah. For the record, no hands are uh, still up. So, we all have a working knowledge of what prayer is, right? Uh, We've got questions like, how often should I pray? And who exactly am I supposed to pray to? Uh, the Father, uh, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who, who do I pray specifically to? So we all have questions about prayer, but we all pray. Uh, matter of fact, there's a study done in Great Britain, which outside of a growing Islamic uh, contingent, actually is a pretty secular place. 75% of the people in Great Britain report that they pray at least once a week. Study done here not long ago reported that 75% of Americans report that they pray once a day. We're more religious than the Brits are. We pray once a day. Uh, and, and Philip Yancey, in an interesting book he wrote called Prayer, What Difference Does It Make? Asking, if God knows everything, <laughs> why are we praying? Uh, in that book, Yancey notes that virtually everybody prays. And he, he talks about, uh, you know, quote-unquote primitive tribes that, uh, that 
that are offering sacrifices and have time set aside where they're praying to some deity for food and for health and for, uh, for their children. Uh, he goes to Muslims who's five times a day. When the call goes out, whether they're driving in their car or they're playing soccer or, or having a coffee break, they stop what they're doing in order to kneel and pray. Uh, he even quotes from the Pravda, you know, the, the newspaper back during the Soviet era in the 1950s. Uh, the, it was encouraging companies to have a red corner, okay, and, and, and there they were to have pictures of, of, uh, of Stalin and Lenin, uh, just sort of replacing the Eastern Orthodox icons that, uh, that they were using for prayer. And, and Pravda says, if you're having a tough day, I go to the red corner and, uh, and think about Stalin and you will find energy. If you're, if you're tired when you shouldn't be, go to, the, go to the corner and picture him and you will find energy. If you have a big decision to make and you don't know what to do, go to the corner. Think of Stalin and you will uh, get the answer. And you're like, wow. Uh, so pretty much everybody seems to have this default uh, response to appeal, uh, to, to go to God and ask questions. And yet, um, almost nobody feels satisfied with their prayer life. Almost nobody feels like they are praying enough, and they feel like they could do better. And there's some suggestion by the fact that the disciples, who knew how to pray as Jews, they would be taught how to pray, but there's some suggestion that they see in Jesus something that is uh, that is different, that is better, and they want that. They want to learn how to pray. Now, um, just full disclosure here, uh, I'm not happy with my prayer life, especially when I compare my prayer practices and habits with those of the, uh, of the, the, the heavyweights of history, right? We hear that Martin Luther would say, I've got so much to do today, I can't afford not to pray for at least four hours. Uh, and Simeon would get up to pray for five hours. And George Mueller, the great uh, Brit who's, who started orphanages, uh, there's a, a book you can read about Mueller. It's, it's exhausting to read. I mean, uh, but just every day sort of his prayer records and how much he prayed. And he just would wake up early and implore God, right, to be faithful to the promises that he had made. And one of the stories that I remember is, that he had all these kids in this orphanage, and there was no, you know, federal subsidies, and so he, and, and he would never ask. He would just pray. He would never advertise his needs. He would only pray. And uh, one morning, whatever, they've got 50 kids or 300 kids, I can't remember, but there's no food in the house. And the staff say, hey, Mr. Mueller, what are we supposed to do? There's no food for breakfast. And he says, sit the kids down. And so they all sit down, and he says, tell them to, uh, to pray, thanking God for their food. And they go, well, we don't have any food. And he says, tell them to pray and thank God for their food. And so uh, they pray, and uh, lo and behold, there's a knock on the door, and the baker says, wow, this is 150 years ago. He says, I couldn't sleep. Uh, so I suddenly became persuaded that I should come down, go down to the bakery and, and bake bread for your kids. And so I did, and here it is. And so they thank him, and they're distributing the bread, and then there's another knock on the door, and it's the milkman, and he says, my, my cart has broken down right out in front of your orphanage, and uh, all this milk is going to go bad. It's not pasteurized, right? All this milk is going to go bad. Uh, would you take it? 
right? So, so I, you know, you read about Mueller, you read about uh, Jonathan Edwards talking about, you know, these rapturous hours of prayer down by the riverbank, and, and uh, you know, again, all these people that are praying, Bishop Andrews, who, who just would, you know, wake up at four in the morning in order to have at least three hours of prayer before the day started. And, and so when I compare my prayer life to theirs, I'm going, yeah, no. Uh, uh, I just, I remember the first time I tried to pray through the night, right? You read about these people who would have a concern. They go, we decided we'd pray through the night. And so I said, okay, uh, I'm in. And we had this uh, outreach that we were doing on the college campus. And so uh, I, we said, we're going to pray for 24 hours leading up to this outreach. Well, it wasn't a very big campus ministry. And so uh, I was one of the leaders, and I got stuck with, you know, four or five of the absolute darkest midnight hours. I think it was like 11 to 3 or something was my spot. And I show up at, at, uh, at 11, and I sort of re- relieve the person that's there. And I get down on my knees, and I'm going to pray. And I pray for the outreach, and I pray for my fraternity brothers that I've invited. And I pray for everybody else I can think of. And I pray for missionaries, and I pray for world leaders. And I pray, and I look at my watch, and it's like 11.20. And I think, oh, my goodness, I'm toast. And uh, I'm pretty sure I was asleep by one uh, there in the chapel of the university and feeling horrific and guilty. And uh, so perhaps you have similar experiences. Perhaps not. I mean, perhaps you're now wondering, why am I going to listen to a message on prayer by this guy who clearly is uh, not qualified to give it? So uh, let me just say, my sense is that uh, we all feel pretty unqualified when it comes to this issue. We all, there's, prayer is an amazing privilege and an amazing opportunity that we have. But it often comes across uh, as being a, an area of uh, weakness or maybe it produces a little bit of guilt. And it's not just, by the way, it's, it's, it, you, would, you might be surprised at who sort of throws up their hands and says, wow, I, I just am not where I want to be. Uh, in my preparation for this series, uh, I read a lot on, on prayer. And I read, uh, ran across this quote from Chuck Swindoll. To be painfully honest with you, Swindoll's a popular writer, radio uh, preacher, president of a seminary a few years ago. He writes, To be painfully honest with you, most of the stuff I've ever read or heard about prayer has either left me under a ton of guilt or wearied me with pious-sounding phrases and meaningless God talk. Um, without, sound, without trying to sound ultra-cynical, I frequently walked away thinking, who needs it? Because, because I didn't spend two or three grueling hours a day on my knees as dear Dr. So-and-so, or because I failed to say it in just the right way, whatever that means, or because I wasn't able to weave several scriptural verses through my prayer, or because I had not been successful in moving mountains, I picked up the distinct impression that I was out to lunch when it came to this part of my Christian life. It seemed almost spooky, mystical, and dare I say it, even a little superstitious. A lot of verbal mumbo-jumbo, laced with secret jargon that some people had and some people didn't, and I definitely didn't. So that's Swindoll. More... Um, Surprising to me was a statement made by uh, Dr. Uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who many would consider one of the premier preachers, thinkers, pastors of the late 20th century uh, authors. 
He didn't write, he wrote lots and lots of commentaries, lots of his sermons are published. Nothing on prayer. And uh, when they asked him about it, he said, that's because uh, of a sense of grave personal inadequacy in this area. Um, I could mention others. Philip Yancey says, I'm writing this book on prayer because I don't know how to pray, not because I, I figured it out. So I think there's a sense uh, of, we sense that it should be this area of joy and privilege and, and encouragement and peace. And instead, prayer often comes across as a duty or uh, as something that produces some guilt. And so my hope for this series is that uh, at the end of it, you pray more. Um, I, don't, I don't suspect that I'm going to say a lot that you've not thought of or heard of perhaps in the past. Maybe I will. I may say some things that, that surprise you or uh, make you wince. But uh, I just want to have an honest discussion uh, on prayer. And today what I want to do is I want to focus on the reasons why we should pray. Now before we get to that, I, let's just take a minute and let me define prayer. Uh, I've collected definitions of prayer for 25 years. And um, some of these definitions are under what I'll call just a, a, a generic category. Um, prayer is the vehicle God uses to release his power on earth. Prayer is a chance to admit our failures, weaknesses, and limitations to the one who responds to human vulnerability with infinite mercy. Prayer is hand-to-hand combat with evil. Prayer is God-ordained means in order to accomplish God-ordained ends. Prayer is the primary tool God has given us by which we may become partners with him in bringing his will to pass. So, lots of lots Tens, dozens, maybe a hundred different definitions of prayer. Some definitions are a little bit more um, colloquial or contemporary. Prayer is a way to be connected with God more quickly than texting or email. Uh, Prayer is high-octane fuel for good things to happen. There's a third category of of definitions that I wrote down because I thought, whoa, uh, i got to think about that one. That's pretty profound, I think. I'm not always sure. Um, Thomas Merton said, Prayer is an expression of who we are. We are living in completeness. We are a gap and emptiness that calls for fulfillment. Milton wrote, Prayer is a chance to restore the truth of the universe, that man may know that he dwells not in his own. So I've collected all these definitions of prayer, and I, I was reading through them in the last couple of weeks preparing for this it occurred to me that they sort of break out in, in two big categories. There's a, there's, a number of ca- there's a number of definitions of prayer that suggest that it's hard work, that it's difficult, it's, it's combat, it's wrestling, it's, it's anguishing, it, it's, it's, a, it's a almost physical activity that we engage in. And then there's another number of definitions of prayer that suggest it's this this introduction or this pathway into peace and uh, tranquility and uh, love and acceptance, right? So we have these two definitions of prayer. And, and as I thought about that, and, and by the way, Keller makes this point in a very good book on prayer that he wrote, came out a few months ago. Uh, Keller notes and, and, uh, that both of these definitions of prayer are true. And more significantly than Keller weighing in on this, would be uh, the book of Psalms. 
Right? Some, of the book, some of the psalms talk about the joy and the peace and the, the, you know, the, the freedom. And it's like I'm, I'm a tree by a, by, a, by a brook and I'm being nourished, right? And so it's all this wonderful talk about prayer, what it is and what it leads to. And then there's other psalms, just prayers, where basically the message is, God, are you kidding like, could you show up every once in a while? I mean, it's just anger and uh, not polite prayers at all. Not the kind of prayers that generally you heard prayed in church. Occasionally, in 30 years, I've heard people give real gut-wrenching, anguishing cries out to God. But not often. But the book of Psalms has both of these suggestions. Prayer is work, it's hard, it's anguish, it's battle. And others, that prayer is an introduction into peace and tranquility. So I think in the end what, what I want to sort of base this series on is that prayer is talking with God and prayer is an encounter with God. And it sort of covers the spectrum of uh, easy to hard, uh, peaceful to wrestling. So in light of that, let me share seven reasons why I think you should pray. Number one, because Jesus did. He is, uh, he is our example. He's, no, he's more than an example. He's our Savior. He did things that we can't do, uh, things that we don't have to do. So he's not just an example, but he is an example for us. He does, he does model what the life that we are striving to live should look more like. And in the Gospel of Luke, there are a dozen occasions where we're told Jesus escapes somewhere in order to pray. And uh, obviously, if Jesus is escaping somewhere in order to pray, we should pray. And, and more significantly than that, by the way, than just that Luke is reporting this, we have passages such as we find in Hebrews 7.22 that tell us that now that Jesus has gone to heaven, <laughs> right, he sits at the right hand of God the Father praying for us interceding for us, acting as our high priest, making requests for us. So uh, Jesus prayed when he was here. He's praying in heaven. And so if he's praying, how could we not? Number two, second reason we should pray is because we're instructed to. Indeed, we are commanded to in both the Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, I mean, there's, just, there's dozens of psalms that make this point. Psalm 32, 6, Therefore let all the faithful pray uh, while you may be found. First Chronicles 16, Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Right? We are instructed in the Old Testament to pray. We are instructed in the New Testament to pray. Uh, Luke, again, reporting all these times that Jesus would get up early or would draw away from the crowd and would spend time talking with God. Philippians, Paul writes, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto God, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, In Colossians 4, we're told, Devote yourselves to prayer. In uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Rejoice always, pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances. Uh, 1 Timothy 2.1, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So we have, we have 
one, the example of Christ. Two, we have the command of Scripture that we should pray. Number three, uh, why pray? Because this is the way that we cultivate the relationship that will sustain us. In John 17, we get the high priestly prayer. that We call the Lord's Prayer what, what Jesus gives in Luke 11, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, this is the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Some people take issue calling it the Lord's Prayer because they go, it's not a prayer that Jesus would have necessarily prayed because, you know, it's forgive us our sins or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and Christ didn't have sin other than mine and yours that he took on himself. So some people say, no, it shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and Roman Catholics refer to it as Our Father. They call it uh, Our Father after the first two words in that prayer. Well, um, when people are making that point, they're usually going to say, the Lord's Prayer is what we find in John 17, where we get to listen in on the high priestly prayer, where we get to listen in on Jesus interacting with God the Father. And one of the things that he talks about there is, uh, you know, you are uh, the branch and we're the vine. And so that's the imagery, right? I, I was out doing some pruning of, of our bushes yesterday and thinking about this, right? Once you snip off the branch, <laughs> you know it's all dying, right? There's, there's no hope here. And so that's the imagery that Jesus gives. This is what will uh, sustain us. This is what will provide what we need to have. So one of the main reasons to pray is for that sense of nourishment, which doesn't mean, by the way, that it's going to feel nourishing all the time. There have been moments of prayer where I have felt a great sense of connection to God and great relief from the trials and stresses that are going on and and intimacy with God. And there are lots of times when you're just like, okay, well... I'm praying and I'm, I'm, I'm acting on faith. I believe God heard my prayers and I, you know, the needle didn't move. I don't know what to say. Uh, maybe if I prayed longer, I would, I would find myself in a, in a breakthrough moment. But, um, but I do believe, whether we always feel it or not, that uh, we have a chance to come into the presence of God, who, by the way, Zephaniah 3.17 I mean, this is, this is maybe part of the imagery that, that you need to hold on to, to move out of a thing where prayer is guilt and it's frustrating and it's, it's just hard into a place where prayer is this great privilege and opportunity. Zephaniah 3.17 says that God uh, delights in our presence, dances with joy, sings over us. Uh, I, was in, I was at the University of Iowa this week for a couple talks I was giving and hanging out with uh, our youngest son, Jason. And uh, he had a, a, one of the campus staff for the ministry that he's involved with. Uh, we, we all went out to dinner. And this, this guy and his wife, they have a three-year-old uh, son. And when the three-year-old comes walking up, right, the, the father had just been with us, and so the, the mother and, and the three-year-old come walking up. When the three-year-old comes walking up, the dad acts uh, all giddy. Right, and he starts to sing and does a little dance for his son, and it's just—I mean, it's you know—it's delightful. Uh, and I thought, okay, so there's a there's a suggestion, right, from Zephaniah that that's the joy our Father has when we come into His presence, right? That He sings over us, 
uh, that he, he dances for us. And so why pray? Because this is a way we draw into the presence of God who sustains us and, uh, and restores us. No, number four, fourth reason why we should pray is because God answers prayer. Uh, when we pray, things change. Often, us. When we pray, God hears our prayer. Uh, often he says no, or not yet. We're going to look at that next week. Garth is going to speak. I've asked Garth to take on that question. Why don't we pray? And one of the, one of the areas that he's going to pursue is we don't pray because we don't see answers to our prayer. It doesn't feel like we see answers to our prayer. And I want to say, God always answers our prayer. He always hears it. Sometimes the answer is no. Uh, and sometimes the answer is not yet. Uh, and sometimes what changes is us. Right? Now, there are times I shared two weeks ago in the, the Easter sermon, I shared the story of Alan Wiley in the old soccer jersey, right? There are moments where you, you clearly see God's fingerprints all over an event that was headed one way, and all of a sudden it goes a different direction. You go, oh my goodness, clearly that was an answer to prayer. And, and uh, you know, it was a year ago on Thursday that I had the stroke. And so I was thinking about that this week and just remembering there was a, there was a, uh, a deep sense of God's presence in those darkest moments. And, you know, m- many medical staff have, have said to me, your recovery is a miracle. And, again, it wasn't a miracle in the kind of miracles we see where Jesus heals somebody and they're healed, right? It's been, it's been a long recovery and lots of therapy and other things. But I look on and I say, you know, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what part of my recovery could be attributed to uh, to great medical care, and what part of my recovery should be attributed to the to the wonderful uh, prayers of hundreds and thousands of people? I, I don't know how that works out, but I believe that God does often change circumstances. So yes, but my experience is that often what changes when we pray is our own heart. Right? That 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 we <clears throat> that we begin to soften or we begin to see things uh, a little bit differently. I want to encourage you um, that when you pray, and, and the, the third talk, I'm going to go right at how to pray in some depth. But I want to encourage you when you pray um, to be brutally honest and to ask for whatever you want. But I want to, I want to share that saying that oftentimes the process of asking is uh, where change happens. Even as I articulate what I want, <laughs> I go, okay, yeah, that's shallow. Okay, so uh, I, I've given voice to it. That's where I'm at, God. That's what I want. So I don't know whether I'm setting that before you as that's what I want or that's my problem that that's what I want. But... But I see the change often taking place um, right before my eyes. Um, That leads to the fifth reason to pray. And that is because prayer is often, uh, I think, one of the only paths towards genuine self-knowledge 
that we have. Um, over the last year, I've become increasingly aware of the fact that um, many people, and I worry that I'm one of them, don't have a great read on how they are being perceived. They don't have a, they don't have a lot of self-awareness. And uh, I sort of got on this track reading um, someone who's, who's quite critical of the church generally, but was commenting and saying, one of the great things about Judaism and Christianity is that they have prophets. And prophets speak truth to power. And it's one of the great things, and he was making uh, comments about how uh, how this puts Christians and, and Muslims in a little bit different category, but that, that self-criticism, criticism of the church, critic from within the church, all of these things are incredibly necessary because otherwise we just we don't see the truth about who we are. And uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm occasionally aware about this in my own situation. It's much easier to see other people and go, <laughs> yeah, they're clueless, right? They, they did not have a good read on the room. They did not know what was going on. My experience is that one of the times when I actually have uh, a little bit of breakthrough is in prayer. When, when I am, am being brutally honest uh, with God, I, God, God knows, right? I mean, I, I mean, I, this is this is a very liberating thing. Once you get it down, I don't think you ever forget it. God, God knows. I'm not confessing anything to God that He doesn't know about. He knows everything. This is just a matter of me facing it as much as as anything. And and those times of of prayer in which I'm being brutally honest often help me see myself in ways that I think are more true. And it doesn't come, um, when I say brutally honest, this doesn't come uh, out of fear or like it's being beaten out of me. It comes because it's an attitude, it's, a, it's an area of grace and acceptance and, and absolute love. And so there's freedom to be completely honest with who I am and, and how I'm failing. And so I think that you know, I think that, that prayer, it's not self-talk, right? I mean, it's not, um, it, it, but there's something introspective about it. We're not praying to ourselves. We're not reaching down inside ourselves to figure things out, right? That's not, that's not at all what's going on. But there is a sense in which, with the Holy Spirit's help, the, the light gets shined in, in, into some of the darker recesses of our, of our mind or of our heart or of our soul or however you want to think about this. And we have this opportunity to see ourselves a little bit more clearly. And I think a lot of people don't have that opportunity. Uh, if, if, if that kind of prayer is not part of the cadence of their life, it's just real easy to just get further and further. The difference between who you think you are and who you actually are just grows. And so I think one of the reasons to pray is because it allows us uh, to get better. And that actually is the sixth reason. Uh, so the fifth reason is that it allows us to see ourselves more clearly. And then the sixth reason is because it allows us to change. This is what uh, Tim Keller uh, wrote. Prayer is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things that he has for us. Indeed, 
Prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and to be in life. Um, I don't want to suggest that God doesn't uh, answer our prayers the way we like. Uh, Again, God will change circumstances. I believe that he can do that. But I believe that miracles are, are that. They're miracles. They're exceptions. They're not common. And my experience is that often what changes in prayer is my own heart and my own attitude and disposition. And so uh, uh, prayer is a way that we can change. And then the seventh uh, reason to pray is because sometimes it's the only option we have. Right? There's, there's nothing else we can think to do. I feel that way uh, often when I'm in the hospital and, and bad news has been given. And it's like, okay, well... Uh, it, I think what I'm hearing is that the medical staff have said we've exhausted our, our avenues uh, for help. And so I don't know what else to do right now except that we gather together and we come before God. And we, we state our concerns and we cry we pour out our, our requests. What else are we going to do? I mean, there's nothing else for us to do. And, and I felt that way also back to the... Uh, the early days after the stroke when I couldn't read and I couldn't really see very clearly and I couldn't eat and I couldn't, couldn't roll over. I mean, I couldn't sit up. And there was, there was a few hours there when I'm thinking, wow, I really can't do any of the things that have defined me. All I can do is sleep. And then I thought, no, no, I can pray. Uh, I can pray. It's about the only thing that I can do. Uh, but sometimes that's the only thing that we need to do. So um, there are other reasons to pray, I'm sure. Those are the seven I came up with. Next week, Garth is going to take up two questions. Why don't we pray or pray more? And begin to answer the question, how should we pray? So let me uh, pray for us. Lord God, um, there are so many reasons why we should pray. And we want to start just by confessing that we don't appreciate the opportunity and privilege that this is to come in confidence boldly into your presence through the work of Christ and uh, to meet with you, to convene with you. The idea that you uh, are delighted when we do so, the idea that you, uh, that you uh, sing over us is um, shocking. Help us to find ways to uh, lean more fully into you. Help us to find ways to grow in our ability to hear you. Help us uh, to be able to see ourselves more clearly and to change as we have that truth. Um, Help us to be people of prayer uh, like uh, those that we have heard can intercede in in great lengths. We thank you for them. Um, We just pray that um, we can become more of who we could be, should be, uh, more of whom you want us to be, And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.